Our reading tonight comes from Matthew chapter 26. The Gospels convey this scene with few words. Matthew's Gospel points to Jesus' awareness of how fleeting his time had become. Everything about this Last Supper points us forward to the dawning of God's new way. We'll read it together, <clears throat> alternating voices by paragraph as you listen. Try to picture the scene in your mind, especially the brief final paragraph. Just one sentence long. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to one another, Surely not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus replied, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. But this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The word of the Lord. Thanks, John, for leading. Oh, hey, everyone. I've, um, I've been thinking a lot lately, just looking around at what's happening and how different people are handling it. I've just been thinking about what an incredible spiritual gift it is to be able to hold two things in your hands at one time, um, especially when the things are very, very different from each other. And, and I've been thinking that um, this ability to hold two things at once, this story that we just heard, that this whole night of Monday, Thursday, and really all of Holy Week is such a beautiful example of doing that. So think for a moment about, uh, think about a time when you get home from running errands, okay? And um, you have a ton of stuff in your car that you need to get into the house. And is there anyone else who will do anything, literally anything to avoid making two trips? Anyone else do this? Whatever it takes to get it all in one load, even if it would be like a million times easier to multiple trips, right? You have to try and get it all at once. So imagine, okay, imagine you're coming home from the store 
and you have groceries, but you also have a vase of daffodils and a uh, very beautiful piled on with lots of extra frosting on top birthday cake. What should you do? You should first take the groceries in and then go back to get the base and the cake? No way, right? No way. No, here's what you do. Okay, so you take the two bags of the groceries uh, and instead of holding them in your hand, you slide them up so that they're on your forearm, right? So that your hand is free. Then you take the fingers of your hand and use them to grab uh, the handle of the milk jug, right? And that leaves your thumb free so you can stick and, and just like pincer grip the vase of daffodils with that hand, right? Which leaves your other hand free to very, very carefully slide it under the box of birthday cake and carefully, very carefully lift it up, flip it around, and then waiter style, carry all of this into the house, praying to God that the dog is not under your feet. Am I right? That is how it's done. That is how it's done, of course. Because here's what I'm learning, you guys, uh, in adulthood. I am learning that life involves a lot of schlepping. Do people know the word schlepping? I think it's Yiddish, but I, I, normal people, I think, not just me, I think like normal people know the word schlepping, right? Like awkwardly hauling things from one place to another. So life involves a lot of schlepping. Um, church work involves a bunch of schlepping, especially when we became two campuses. Family life surely does. Boy, parenthood takes schlepping to a whole nother level. The very best thing about Alice learning to walk is that we no longer have to schlep her to and from the car. So life is just a lot, a lot of schlepping. But um, what I'm starting to appreciate in my, you know, my wise old age um, is that schlepping, both um, the necessity for it and the ability to do it, it's a total gift from God because it speaks to a life that is varied, it's got variety, it's interesting, it's exciting, it's busy, it's full, it's, it's alive. That's what a life of schlepping means. And um, this is true, I think, not just of material things, but of spiritual things too. Because life just throws so much stuff so much stuff life throws at us. And it's such a mixed bag. Um, it's stuff that's easy and hard, stuff that's instinctual and totally not simple, complex, funny, serious. And all of the most like truest true parts of life always seem to be both and, right? Heartwarming and heartbreaking. Um, so, so painful and so, so empowering. Um, good and bad, dark and light, hard and hopeful. That's life, hard and hopeful and holy. All of it is holy. And at least for me, one of the greatest gifts of our faith tradition is that it gives us uh, words and songs and stories that help us take all of that and hold on to both of it, right? Hold all the both and and, um, and hold it all together. And I think tonight's story is a, 
like a really, really good example of that. The story of Jesus' last meal with his followers. Because it is dark. Um, it is a dark story. It's literally uh, evening when it happens. And of course, at least by our standards, no electricity then. So evening is a dark time. This is a meal by lantern, candlelight. So it's literally dark. And then, and then the, uh, the mood is dark too. Jesus, of course, knows that he's about to die. Um, the political leaders of the day have already decided after he raised Lazarus from the dead that this guy's got to go, so they know what's going to happen. Judas has already made his arrangement to betray him, received his money in return, so he knows what's going to happen. But I think even the other people around the table, um, Jesus has told them a couple times what's going to happen, and they have clearly not understood or not listened or not been able to believe and accept what's coming. But I think they still would have sensed uh, like, like an ominous overhang because they know that what Jesus has been doing and saying, um, it's really been right on the edge of treason for a Jew living under um, the occupation of the Roman Empire. So I think they, I think anybody then would have sensed the danger to him. And I think they would have known that that danger also by association, that it's dangerous for them too. So there's um, kind of this, this heavy tone in the backdrop of this meal. And then Jesus drops this bombshell while they're eating, right? One of you is going to betray me. And I totally wonder what they were talking about right before that, right? Like, um, did he interrupt some happy banter about how good the wine is and who has the best outfit for the festival? Or like, was it already tense and quiet and he just throws that out there? I don't know what it was like before, but um, right after he says it, everyone is quick to be like, no, not, it's not gonna be me, is it you? No, not me, is it you? They quickly turn on each other Denial, blame, right away. And for sure the tone doesn't get lighter when Jesus then goes on to predict this awful, horrible ending for whoever it is. And for sure the tone doesn't get any lighter after this story, the rest of the events of tonight, um, where they go out to the garden. Jesus asks everyone to stay awake while he prays. They all fall asleep. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him one, two, then three times. Soldiers show up, and when they do, Jesus' people are ready to fight. But when Jesus says, no, that's not what we're doing, we're just going to stand by each other, they run. Every single one of them is gone. So this is a dark night and a dark story. But in the mix of all of that darkness are these real beautiful points of light. And the first is that they get to have a last meal together. Um, and anyone who's ever had a hard goodbye with someone, either expected or not, knows how precious those one last times are, either because you got to have them or because you didn't. And they do. Um, and then the second is this beautiful thing that happens during the meal where Jesus takes bread and takes wine and says, this is, this is me. And I give myself the very best of what I have 
I'm giving it to you and it's for everybody. And it's not like a reward because they've done something right. It's just a gift. And that is like the single best gift that you could give is to give someone of your truest self. And the single best gift you could receive um, is whenever anybody is brave enough to share um, their truest self with you. And then the last one, one uh, we maybe overlook sometimes, but it's from that, that one sentence paragraph at the very end um, that says, after they had sung the hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. They sang. In the middle of all of that, they sang together around the table. And we actually know what they sang, assuming that the hymn refers to the psalms that were always assigned for that festival day. It's 113 to 118. Read them in your Bible if you have time. Um, but so these five songs, and, and it starts with this um, praise the Lord um, from the rising to the setting of the sun. Uh, let us praise the Lord. And it ends with um, give thanks to the Lord for the Lord is good. God's love endures forever. And in between those brackets are these stories of salvation, uh, both communal and personal, where God has come to us and pulled us through, carried us through something so hard and brought us out the other side. Um, and one of them says, you know, I was pushed, pressed down, I was falling, and God lifted me up. Therefore, I will not die, but I shall live. That's what they sat around and sang together that night in the middle of all of this. They eat and they sing. And that's not really unlike what's happening now, hey? There was a writer in Italy who was, you know, writing to us in the U.S. a few weeks ahead of us and saying, uh, you will eat because you can. True, I can verify. And you will sing because you can. You looked at us singing operas from our balconies and thought, oh, you Italians. But just wait. When you are blaring, I will survive out of your windows and putting together um, you know, electronic harmonies of singing stand by me. And when you are all huddled around your computer screens, watching church services and singing familiar heads, we will look at you and nod just the way people in China looked at us and nodded after they sang out their windows in February. There's a meal and there's song, and that's enough. And God gives both of those to us tonight, just by being here. And God longs to give us the ability to hold all of that in our hands. That's our task right now, to not be afraid of things that are hard or scary or painful, to not shy away from them, not try and gloss over them or minimize them, but to be able to sit there with our own grief, with others' grief, and to know that sitting there with that hard stuff does not in any way diminish the hope and the holiness and the togetherness 
and the faith that we all share. The good news is that our hands are big enough to hold both of those things, to hold all of those things. But the even better news is that tonight, you don't need to hold anything at all. Not a thing. You get to come with empty hands tonight. So if you have elements for communion nearby, you take a look at them. We've got ours up here. And know that whatever you found, or even if you haven't found anything, whatever it is, it's not something you've done. It is a gift. That is a gift from God to you to fill your heart and feed your soul so that you can face whatever tomorrow and next week and next year brings. It's just a gift. And so know that when you come and you receive those gifts into your empty hands, God's very self fills you. Christ's body in yours. And feel the truth of that tonight and always. Hey, may God give us the ability to hold it all in our hands. The heartwarming and the heartbreak, the beauty and the pain, the joy and the struggle, the hard and the holy, and in all of it, may we embrace the gift that is life. And may we see on all of it the fingerprints of a God whose love has got us in God's grip and will never, ever, ever let go. Amen.